This episode is brought to you by Seedinvest, the curated equity crowdfunding platform helping entrepreneurs raise the capital they need from seed stage to series D by harnessing the awesome power of the crowd. Learn more about how you can get your business in front of Seedinvest network of over 600,000 investors looking for opportunities at info.seedinvest.com slash investor. The Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz & Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz & Company, from seed through harvest, cultivating financial success. Another Fed trial balloon pops markets. Inflation coming in hot, although off a low base. Wacky action in yields, but markets are still holding tough. And our guest today, Thomas Thornton from Hedge Fund Telemetry. All this and much more on episode number 753 of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. Hey, hey, hey! Welcome to the circus, a world that anyone can say whatever they want just to see how others react. I'm Andrew Horowitz, the host of TDI, which is the Disciplined Investor Podcast and co-host of DH Unplugged, where John C. Dvorak, myself, come together each and every Tuesday night at 9 o'clock for a live stream. You can also hear us, of course, on any good podcast app that's out there or any place that you want, right on the websites. And we talk about some Interesting things throughout the show. Have some games that we play, some stock picks. Really a lot of fun on DH Unplugged each and every week, so make sure to check that out. Uh, you know, the Fed, and I know we've, we've talked about this a lot. We've talked about how I'm really aggravated with their actions and their inability to forecast. You know I've talked about that. I'm not going to tire you with this entire discussion about my feelings, but I want to let you know that if you're interested on in hearing a little bit more about this and why I think they are making a tremendous policy misstep, and as we see what Bullard did last week coming in with, yeah, uh, you know, it looks like we can get to 100 basis points by July and favoring a pretty quick move and then having to walk it back late Thursday and into Friday. And the action they're taking with these trial balloons and all the things they're doing right now just seems to be mismatched with reality. And again, I'm not going to get into all of this right now. I'm not going to tell you what I think because you know what? I want you to listen to my interview with Frank Curzio. I was on his show on Wall Street Unplugged, the podcast this week. It's on YouTube. Look it up on YouTube, Wall Street Unplugged, Frank Curzio, Andrew Horowitz. You'll see my discussion there and figure out exactly what I'm talking about. Why I'm so aggravated about the way the Fed is handling themselves right now. So make sure to make sure to watch it, take a listen, whatever you're going to do with that. Last week, we ended the conversation on the show about the idea of concentration risk. And the thought that concentration of risk assets in portfolios can lead to great wealth 
and it can also lead to great poverty. And especially during these stressful times, I ask the question, what is your diversification like? What's your plan? How concentrated is your portfolio? And do you know what the risk is? If you haven't listened to that episode, I really encourage you to do so because there's a lot of points in there that I think were very important, important and poignant right now to really consider. The idea that in a market that is moving as quickly with a VIX higher than 20, with the volatility that we are seeing right now, is do you really understand the risk in your portfolio? And no, you don't want to wait on this, seriously. And also, it's not too late if some of you are thinking that maybe the markets are corrected already and it's too late. Well, is it? We've seen time after time many Positions come down even further. And did we really come off of where the market should be? That's a big question. Or are we at the end of the cycle of correction for individual names that you may have concentrated in your portfolio? So it's time to really focus in on this. And I really want to pound this home. And, you know, if you want and you can't do it yourself, not everybody can do this themselves. If you want me to take a look at your diversification, if you want me to see what it looks like, I'll put it on the rack, your portfolio, and I will simply take a look-see, give you my ideas, my thoughts, and tell you, you know what, whether I like what you have or not, you have diversification. Or, you know, maybe there's something you could do a, a, a touch better to really figure out how you should be investing in these kind of environments. All you have to do is reach out. You know how to do it. Go over to the site, click the Ask Andrew button, whatever you want to do. I am very happy to help. That's what I'm here for. Another thing before we get to our guests, a couple of things I want to talk about. Big fishing tournament this weekend. I'll let you know the results, but I'm a bit worried. <laughs> it's a sailfish tournament this weekend. And I, I put together a good team, but the wind is just not cooperating from what I can see. And it's going to be very light throughout the weekend. And even though I may have the best team, the right bait, the right hooks, the right rods, I get to the right spot. If I don't have the weather in this particular style of fishing cooperating, all bets are off. It's just like the markets, really, if you think about it for a second. You may be ready have all the tools, the techniques, but the markets are not on the same page and it doesn't work out so well. And the problem with this particular fishing that we're doing for sailfish, which is the mainstay of this particular tournament, it's a catch and release, is that we use kites. We use kites. And if you don't know about this, if you haven't seen it, look up kite fishing sailfish. And you'll see exactly what we're doing with these kites. The problem is, since there's no wind, we're going to have to use helium balloons with the kites. That's the plan, and it's a pain. So I'll report back probably on this coming week's DH Unplugged on how we did as a team. It's the most sailfish caught and released uh, and over the weekend, and also the largest single fish that is kept, whether it's, a, it's called meatfish, whether it's kingfish or tuna, a wahoo. So those are the things we're looking for. It's going to be kind of interesting to figure out how this all comes out. So I'll report back to that on DH Unplugged. Now, looking back on the markets for the week, there's a lot of economic indicators that came out. Of course, CPI was the big issue. 
the largest CPI move for 40 years, and it was quick. I mean, quick turns higher and lower for the markets in general after any discussion about inflation. Yields moved about, uh, well, moved above 2% for the first time since, I think it dates back to December of 2019. And that's when the economy was firing on all cylinders. And it seems as though the economy and the cycle at that time was doing really well. And we had finally, <laughs> we heard about this, the, the idea that we finally broke the economic cycle. Busted. It was done. It's over with. And that's something we really need to reckon with, the idea that this time is different. Because it's not usually. And the idea that we won't go through peak expansionary periods and then down to trough periods into from recession to expansion and growth into contraction is pretty hysterical that we have that. The thought that markets will continue climbing no matter what happens and there'll never be a correction again. And if it is, it's going to be shallow and deep and there's going to be by the dip that comes in every single time. All of that is pretty hysterical and reckless. This is an important issue that we really need to focus on. And this whole idea, this whole thought and notion that we won't have expansion to contraction. We won't have markets in growth and rally mode into correction mode. And we're going to come back to that. I think it's an important topic to really focus in with our guest today. So hold on to your hats for that. Before we get any further, I want to talk about Seed Invest because it's changing the game for entrepreneurs. They connect startups with a network of everyday investors and customers and fans to raise new venture capital. You can find out why Seedinvest is the preferred equity crowdfunding platform for hundreds of founders. And founders, listen up. They've raised over $400 million to fuel companies and the greatest ambitions that the founders have. This is something that you should really be looking into because we know something. If you're a founder, you know this, that raising venture capital is really hard. But Seedinvest makes the process easier with their time-tested end-to-end online fun fundraising platform, which has connected over half a million angel investors with founders that are looking to build their future. To learn more how you can get started and see for yourself how Seedinvest is transforming the out dated fundraising system to benefit startup and founders and everyday investors looking for opportunities. I want you to go and I want you to check this out. Go to info.seedinvest.com slash investor today. I think you'd really be interested in what they have going on their website, whether you're a founder, whether you're an investor, but if you are definitely looking for money to expand and really take your business to the next level, go to info.seedinvest.com slash investor. Okay, getting back to where we were and what we really want to focus in on today. The idea of the economic cycle, where we are and what we should be doing. Let's get right to our guest. And our guest today is Thomas Thornton. He's a former portfolio manager, senior trader, and technical analyst with Level Global Investors in Galileo, Galileo Capital. He's with uh, Hedge Fund Telemetry, and that is a firm that specializes in 
providing investment content and uh, market sentiment, does a lot with the mark indicators, sector rotations, and the list goes on. All the information is on the show notes for episodes, uh, what do we got, 753 on thedisciplinedinvestor.com. Hey, Tom, thanks for joining me. How are you? Hey, I'm great. Thanks for having me. So I have a lot of uh, I have a lot of questions for you. A lot of things I want to talk about. But one of the things I left off right before we got to you was the whole notion that somewhere along the the line there was this idea that the economic cycle, the traditional economic cycle from peak to trough and from uh, expansion to contraction, and that uh, we have only a rally a mode of the markets. No longer we're going to see bear markets has been broken because of the brilliance of the Fed. How say you? Well, the Fed and the government, uh, they're pretty good at creating problems that they end up then try to look good by solving them. And I've found that, um, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but creating more debt to solve other debt problems is not necessarily a great solution. (laughs) And now the Fed is they painted themselves into a corner by overstimulating. We've got runaway inflation and now they're, they're panicking and they have to raise rates. And it's now almost consensus that they're going to raise 50 basis points in March. And I think that the market overall has not necessarily priced that in. And my view is that, the reality is that people have never seen an inflationary market with the Fed tightening. It's just something that has never happened in many people's careers. And I'm 56, and I can remember back in the 70s, and I was just you know a young kid, but inflation was runaway. And my family had people in the money management business, and they were private investors. And inflation was the biggest fear that they had. I remember that those days too. As a matter of fact, my parents, if you recall, what happened was Volcker came into the old uh, stop out inflation. Interest rates went sky high. And what happened was that uh, you can get eh, 10, 12, 14% on a short-term CD. Remember those days? I actually do. My, my grandfather was a really astute investor and I learned a lot from him. And he would always send me research notes that He'd actually send it to my dad and I would pick it up and I was pretty young, but he sold his gold. He was long gold and he was a metals trader for a long, long time on on silver mines. And he sold all of his gold and it was right before the market had topped. Hmm. And it was just, just like a week before. And I remember him calling my dad and almost, it almost sounded like he was crying. Like, I think I made the biggest mistake ever. But he basically, we live in California, and he took his money and bought long-term municipal bonds, which were triple tax-free. And, I mean, he had coupons at 16%. Mm. And those turned out to be really incredible investments, not only just for the the coupons, but you had um, enormous appreciation in those bonds. I'll take 16% tax-free. Yeah, and then, and then and then and then and then forget about all the research we have to do, right? Yeah, and then <laughs> think about it. inflation was dropping, so the true value of those were just it was just incredible. 
Yeah. So you do a lot of writing, and uh, actually, I want to. I want to before we before we talk about that, because I want to get into this recent article that you had called "A Bullard in a China Shop," which is very pertinent. Actually, he's scheduled now for before the open on CNBC on Monday morning. I guess the trial balloons has never stopped. But before we get to that, talk to me about your interest and your passion with Formula One racing. Oh, yeah, I can talk all day. Um, <laughs> so I've been a long-term Formula One fan. Um, my father took me to the Long Beach Grand Prix in the late 70s. I saw a few races that Mario Andretti, who's my favorite driver of all time, he won. I think he Lotta won. I saw a lot of different races in Europe. I traveled in Europe in the 80s and went to several U.S. Grand Prix in Phoenix and when they had a Grand Prix there and rode up an elevator with Ayrton Senna. Oh. And I've been going to Austin. Have you ever Indiana. driven one? No, oh. no, absolutely not. I, I would love to, but I'm not qualified to drive a current car and the older ones would scare the hell out of me. <laughs> That's some fun stuff. Fun stuff. That's great. That's awesome. All right, back to back to business, okay? Let's talk about this Bullard in a China shop. From what I saw, Bullard came out, and he was obviously the guy to drop the hammer after a variety of other commentators and Fed, Fed uh, I call them, the, you know, the Fed parade that comes out and they uh, come out and talk about the variety of different possibilities that could be testing the market on a regular basis. But you talked about the notion how now it's time to sell rallies um, and, and it, it, it's, it's a much different environment. And, and maybe that was also brought to fore by the very, uh, extraordinarily hawkish talk by Bullard this week. Well, I think the Fed has a mandate and that was clear when president Biden had his news conference. And the first thing he said is the Fed is in charge of controlling inflation. He, you know, the pass the buck type speech. And the Fed can control inflation by raising rates. And we've had rates at zero and trillions of stimulus. And we're still doing QE as of February 11th. And we have another month of, of QE. And I, I think that basically the Fed is behind the curve. And they should have started earlier last year. I think September would have been a better time. But here we are today. And you have. These, you know, the members of the Fed are making comments that, yes, we do do need to raise rates. And you have some that are more aggressive than others. And look, the 7.5% CPI was a shocking number. And, and I still think it's, the CPI will go up more. Uh, one of the reasons is that they calculate gasoline prices. And if you look at in December, which was released in January, the CPI, uh, Biden did his SPR release and the prices of gasoline went down and then back up in January. And I, you could see the increase in CPI with that. And the gasoline prices are even higher going into February. So the next CPI in March should be higher. I, I would I agree. Think, I would agree with that, but I have to ask you a question. Sure. How does the Fed think by raising rates and actually pulling back on 
quantitative easing. Let's not get into quantitative tightening just yet, okay? But how mm -hmm. is raising rates and slowing down on quantitative easing going to do anything about the supply chain bottlenecks due to the fact that COVID is now rampant in, in China and they're shutting down ports and factories? And, and we have problems at the Canadian border that they're not letting the trucks through that are going to cause all sorts of price issues. How is raising rates now and tightening financial conditions now when they, I agree, they are late to the game, I just find that it's going to totally backfire on them. Well, there's no easy way out of this. And look, we're in a catalyst-rich environment with a lot of potential fires out there that could ignite. Um, you have Russia and Ukraine, and you, you mentioned a few. Look, the Fed is not going to be able to find the perfect time to do this. And they may raise rates uh, four times this year, but they may be a little bit more um, heavy-handed with a 50 basis point move in March. I think that's becoming consensus. And the bottom line is they do need to, uh, well, when they raise rates, it will decrease demand. Um, and yeah, you have a supply chain problem that's not getting you know, it's not solved. It's, I've heard some things that the ports are getting a little better, but yeah, you have problems in China and there's going to be supply chain problems for another year, but they have to do something. They have a mandate and they don't care about the stock market. They don't care about the stock market. And I've talked to a few of my friends who are pretty close with those people in, in the Fed that are not the governors, but people that are minions there. Mm -hmm. And they said that the stock market can go down 20% and they would be, quote, fine. Now, we've always had the Fed have a, they've had a put. And I think the put is probably around, let's say 4,000, if we're lucky. I've seen Bridgewater say 3,500. I've seen Bank of America come out and say 3,800. And yeah, that would be, it sounds devastating, but we're just going to give back a lot of the gains or some of the gains that we've had in the last two years, which have been extraordinary and thanks to the Fed. So they've created a bubble. They have to pop the bubble and there's no way of doing it without some pain in the equity markets and possibly, and I do believe that rates could go even higher. Hmm. I mean, it's it's not, I don't mean to you know sound like alarmist, but it's just the fact that of what they have to do. It seems to me, it seems to me though, I, I'm taking the other side of this for a second here, because it, it seems to me that I halfway agree with you that the Fed doesn't care about the markets. If they didn't care about the markets, why were they trading so much and doing this stuff underhandedly and how to have two of the guys, if not three, retire early? They care about the markets plenty, you know, in, in terms of their own portfolios, right? To make sure that they're set up right. So maybe they're doing what they can to clean out what they got to clean out before they put the hammer down. The other thing is, um, it, it seems to me, at least with Yellen as a tr in the Treasury and with um, uh, Powell here, two extraordinarily dovish, uh, and, and then old Brainerd and a few others, but it seems to me that the amount, the amount of debt that we have, the excess, what, $5 trillion that was put on the balance sheet of the Fed, that that's a big problem when you have to keep on on renewing that at higher and higher rates, which is going to cause more of a slowdown. I, I, I'm not suggesting they're not going to raise rates. That's not what I'm saying. They should have done it, I agree with you, a while ago. 
I just don't think the first, I don't think they need to necessarily, uh, you know, hit it hard. I think they're going to let the frog stew in a warming bath for a while that gets hot into a boil rather than just turn the heat right up. That's my opinion. It's always the the Fed's, uh, one of the things the Fed has done, I think, a, a pretty good job at is telegraphing what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. And they were really, you know, they didn't want to have a taper tantrum. Um, and so they really telegraphed it starting last May that, yeah, we're thinking about reducing, um, you know, starting a taper and we'll let you know in plenty of time. And they also had a policy that, or they, their thought was that inflation was going to be transitory and inflation will be transitory because they're going to control it and things are going to drop. Not everything's going to drop. You're not going to see wages start to drop immediately. Uh, you're not going to see food prices drop immediately, uh, partly because there's a labor shortage and you also have food shortages and material shortages. And so that that's, it's going to take time, but I think you're going to be a little bit more on my side when March 10th, when they released the next CPI. Oh no, I, I, it, I agree. I agree. The next yeah, CPI is going to be I ugly. Be and it's, yeah. Cause from a low basis on top of it on an annualized basis. But here's the thing. If they do 50 basis points, I think the market is going to start to price in that super hawkish, super size rate hike. I think the market will start to get it. They'll start to understand. That will probably come from a lower level than where we are now. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, this is how markets are supposed to work. You're supposed to have price discovery and you can't have necessarily the Fed sitting there every day um, holding your hand and saying it's okay to buy stocks. The market's not cheap. And that's another thing. They, you can look at overall the market valuations and, you know, everybody's got a different metric that they look at, but the super mega cap names have done the majority of lifting People are hiding in those names. They're great companies, Apple, Microsoft, Google, um, and Amazon, and, and got to take Facebook or Meta out of it these days. But they've been hiding in those names. And the, that's why the market probably would be lower if it was with those stocks were correlated more with the average stock out there. I mean, I'll tell you, there's a lot of things that are oversold right now in the market, a lot. Oh, I, yeah. I run a lot of different indicators and I look at some of the most basic things and yes, markets are actually the average stock is very oversold, but that the problem there is we, we could have the mega caps start to catch up or catch down to some of those, you know, those average companies. Well, they'd have to, they, first of all, they are. I mean, the ones that are not performing, a Facebook, uh, obviously Meta, whatever the hell they're called. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, a really rough guidance. Microsoft did really well in terms of their overall. So they're respected, right? We got to give some, 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 some props to them. Google, pretty good. Apple, just doing its thing. A lot of cash on the hand, doing a huge buybacks. But yeah, I agree with you that, that if things do slow down, that it's, it's not going to be necessarily... They're not going to be exempt, which brings us back to the original point I was asking you about is, is the economic cycle dead? And you're saying no, right? Well, it's been dead for a while, right. but I think that it's coming back. And that's the, been the narrative that 
there is no economic cycle anymore because the Fed has always come in and saved the day with the Fed put. And again, we've never seen uh, the Fed, we've never been trading in the market or investing in the market when the Fed has to come in to raise rates aggressively to fight inflation. We've right. never seen this. So it's a new dynamic and there's a, I don't know everything, but I can say that we're, we're going to see how hard they go. And if it, and if it works, I'm still, I think that, yeah, I, 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 I totally, I totally agree with you. But so a lot of people that are listening right now are saying, okay, this guy, Tom seems like a smart guy. I'm buying in. I'm going along with what he's saying. It makes sense. It's logical. And I don't see any reason why there's anybody really, besides the fact that a lot of people are on the same side right now saying this, but I'll go along with it. So here's our question of the day is what do we do about it? Well, I think you just have to take a de defensive position in the market. And I mean, first of all, there's a lot of people that, you know, one of the things that um, I've been talking about for a, a while is that we had in 2021, the largest amount of inflows into the market in the last 20 years. And actually it's 20 years combined, the amount that we had in 2021. A lot of it are new investors. A lot of it are people that, um, you know, saw the the benefit of the, or the stock, stock market going up and they wanted to jump in. And it was a, you know, fear of missing out. There was the only live once type mentality. A lot of speculative stocks went to the moon. Bitcoin went to the moon. And if the, if the markets get a little bit weaker, I think those people will turn out to be future sellers. Nothing motivates people to sell other than red markets, or they start to look at their portfolios and they say, why I'm, I'm losing money. And they start to get nervous. Yeah, people sell that. lower. So right. I look, I, I, I think, I think I'm going to be right on this. Um, and the concern I have immediately is that we've had a nice bounce off of the January lows. Right. And the data that I look at, I look at, I'm really obsessive over short interest and I look at daily um, put and call activity. Mm -hmm. And so we had, we had short interest come out this week and short interest went up on the NYSE by 3% on the NASDAQ by 5%. It's a lot. There's a lot of data that also showed that the dollar amount of shorting was really, really high maybe one of the highest in a long, long time. Now, when's that data from? Let's just clarify this point. It comes out weekly. That this, came out every, every two weeks, right? It comes out every two weeks. Yeah, every two weeks. And today on the 11th is the day that they will be calculating the next short interest report that comes out in two weeks. So and, it's two weeks behind. Yes. Right. And okay. just I, to clarify. And the, yep. mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And so there is a lag time. But one of the things that has been prevalent in this market in for a while is that shorts just have not really mattered a lot in the market. And it's been more of these new traders that are obsessed with trading options. And I think that's been really moving the market. So I look at when I see heavy put buying and there's probably, there was a lot of heavy put buying at the lows in January and there was the short interest went up. And then we just had an eight plus percent move off the lows. Mm -hmm. And every day I 
look on my screens here and I track all the Goldman Sachs short baskets and those are live. And I can tell you that um, those have been at actually the, um, the sh most short basket. I'm just looking at it right now. It's up in the last five days, 7.95%. So 8%. And the shorts were actually doing very, very well. And year to date, the shorts, that basket is down six and a half, 6.75%. So you have shorts covering pretty heavily. And one of the problems now is if we break down and go through those recent lows, we don't have shorts, which act as a natural buyer. And you have those. But I thought you told me the short interest went up. Right. Short interest went up, but that was two weeks ago. Oh, and so we don't know where it is now. We don't know where it is now. We've had a lot of wonky action daily, which is really the one fascinating thing, Tom, is this. The last couple of weeks, we've seen some pretty atrocious action, I would call it, right? Would you agree? I mean, just nasty moves, right? Nasty. But yes. but but at the end of the points, like markets are flat by the end of the week. <laughs> you know what I mean? They start off the week with like, you know, this terrible, horrible move. And by the end of the week or, or vice versa, you start off with, with things are really good and then it flattens out. And by the end of the week, like nothing happened. But my point is that could favor the shorts or the longs in that, but everybody's very trigger happy on either side. So we're not exactly sure here, but you're saying your thesis is that potentially over the last couple of weeks, short interest probably went down due to short covering. Tell me if I'm wrong about this, what you're thinking. Short interest went down because of short covering. That's why we got that bounce rally. And if we return and start moving and rolling, the concern is there's not going to be a lot of shorts out there to start covering to buoy prices. That's true. And, and look, if the Goldman Sachs most short basket is up 8%, that tells me right there that they took it hard. Okay. They've had to cover and it's been really difficult to be a short overall. And, and that I think is very important, but the bottom line is, you know, the market, if it breaks the recent lows, uh, you're going to see some real sloppiness. And, you know, one of the things that a lot of investors need to understand, and if we're in a bear market, uh, there are a lot of ripper, face ripper rallies that will happen. And in 1929, uh, the crash, that was not the low in the market. And you saw, and the first move down in 2000 was not the first low in the market. You had, I think, just about 10 10% rallies all the way down. So you, you had this stair, you know, it was this staircase down, but in the meantime, you had these big rallies. So it was, it's very hard to make money in a down market. And I worked for a hedge fund. We were net short. We've done, you know, we did really, really well in defensive markets, but it's still very, very, difficult. very, very nervous. difficult. Yeah, it's very Because you don't know when that we've, final turn is going to come. So, for exactly. example, I've been telling people this year that, you know what, we've, we've, we've really, and especially recently, like, where would I get with hedging the market right now if I didn't find exactly the right sector? So if I said, you know, I'm going to do a broad base, well, what did I do? Did I do it on the S&P 500? Not down that much. It wouldn't really qualify for a great hedge, right? NASDAQ, up and down. You got all of a sudden, you say, you know what, we're at a point where it's a support point, and then it rips higher by 7%. Then, then you lose your whole hedge, and then you go against. So right now, we're doing some unfanciness by doing some cash buffering in the portfolio. You follow what I'm saying? 
Because exactly. it, 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 if you're not right on the right pulse, it's not a worthwhile endeavor at this moment. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that people I've seen for decades, they've tried to use the spiders or the cues as their hedge. And if you're doing that, you're basically shorting five main stocks that don't go down that much. And <laughs> until they that's do, the, but yeah. that's the point. You're, you're, you are not properly hedging yourself. Now I, I do, I tend to tell people that I buy put spreads on, on those and I buy them out one month and I'll look, you know, for opportunities. I'll, the first strike will be down 2% and the next one's down 8%. And so I look for opportunities like that to, and I also look, I also short stocks and, you know, I don't short stocks like what you normally hear with people that short stocks because a, lo a lot of the shorts that you hear, it's always these very obvious fraud, you know, problematic companies. But I like to look for companies that technically start to break down or short interest is absent or there's tons of call buying at the highs. And I can pick some of those. And I'm not looking to see the stocks go to zero. I'm looking for a 10% move lower. I'll take, you know, I'll take it off and right. play another day. And right now, the best hedge, the best hedge is not to necessarily add a hedge, but to just move more to cash. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. And I mean, we have, we have about 12% cash right now, which is not a whole hell of a lot. But, you know, it's, it's by mandate. We can't, uh, at this moment, at this moment, can't bring it down. Uh, I think I think our mandate right now is 20% cash. At this moment, it, it, it fluctuates. But let me, let me just get back. I want to rewind for a second and talk about um, the idea of, uh, well, let me just say something. That doesn't mean we can't hedge and do things around it. You know what I mean? But that's kind of ca the cash position only I'm talking about. Um, you mentioned the short interest and how you don't like to go after shorts that have, or you 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 look for shorts opportunities maybe that have low short interest. For the for the novice investor, a lot of times they look at the idea of, oh, wow, look at this stock. It has so much short interest. It must be a really bad stock. I'm going to short it too. Yeah, that's the worst thing because the the reason you want to go the opposite direction is because let's say you have a stock that is moving higher and the, you know, you want to avoid the obvious. Your stock's moving higher and there's a lot of shorts involved. Bottom line is the shorts are propelling it higher because they are giving up and having to buy and creating a sense of demand. And that is where people get in trouble. I can tell you that you can look for stocks that don't have a lot of short interest that are starting to top out. Um, I use DeMarc indicators that give me exhaustion signals that pick bot bottoms and tops. Nines and thirteens. Well. Yeah. Thirteens. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, DeMarc 13 and others, other indicators that uh, Tom DeMarc developed over the years. And one interesting have, thing have you is met him? I have. Yeah, I have too. I Very have. interesting fellow. Yeah, I know Tom. Very interesting fellow. Yeah. He's, He's a, he's a very, very bright 
um, overwhelming person as far as <laughs> his knowledge. How he, um, yeah, he, he's he's incredible. And one thing that a lot of people don't realize is that Tom developed all these very complex indicators on paper back in the 70s, late mm-hmm. 70s. Yep. And then when computers started to come into the markets, he programmed them and found that those indicators actually really worked. Uh, and he used to tell a story that he lived in um, Arizona and the fire department would come to his house and say, look, all these reams of paper that you have, you have to get rid of it because it's a fire hazard. Oh. So <laughs> that's, uh, that's Tom. He's developed so many different indicators, probably over a hundred, and he's got variations of them. It's just, it's overwhelming. Hmm. Wow. So, uh, but getting back to this point about the short interest, so that that's an interesting way to look at things in terms of um, not getting sucked into what the what the, the group is doing. But I think I think it, right now it bear, we, we I need to stop and say something or or ask you. There's a conversation about this. So many people over the years have been like, "Oh, you got to stop short selling. You got you got to outlaw short selling. They break the thing, the, 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 the whole thing, right?" Can you? Because I think I think you can. Can you explain to people why short selling is a, is actually sometimes very very good for people that are investing? Well, one of one of the things that I mean, there's a lot of things. Um, I mean, look, there's a lot of abuses that happen with with short selling, and there's you know the the best friend to uh, a stock that if you're long is to have a lot of shorts that start piling in if the stock's good and the company's solid and the stock goes up, those shorts are going to be the biggest buyers of your stock. And, you know, this, the shorts do a lot of different things. They create a lot of liquidity in the market. Uh, They give the ability for a portfolio manager to hedge a position. Uh, There's obviously um, when a derivatives broker is hedging their a put or a call, they're shorting stock. And so there's, you can't get rid of short selling. And, you know, when they got rid of short selling, if we go back to the great financial crisis, uh, they tried to prevent short selling yeah. from, or for that, financials. Guess work? what happened? How'd that work out? <laughs> yeah. It, it was not, um, not pretty. It did not work. And, you know, people, people don't realize that, that, you, you, if you have a pension or you have a mutual fund or they're shorting or using options at times to hedge some of their positions. And it's just a, it creates liquidity and, you know, we're not evil people. And if we're wrong, we're your best friend and we're going to have to buy your stock higher. And so don't hate us. I, and I get, I get very, you know, I can be very long at times in the market. I can be very short at times in the market. And I'm an opportunistic type guy, mm-hmm. trader, and that's how I see it. So let's go back to, uh, now you write obviously daily. People can find out more information at your website. Why don't you tell them that right now before we go further? Okay. I um, So we can go back a little to the Formula One thought. Okay. Um, and <laughs> can't get that out of your mind now that I mentioned it, huh? No, 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 it's, it's, I can't. Uh, but here's, here's, um, so back our firm uh, closed 
in 2011. And then I ran the family office for the founder. I was a head trader, did, you know, wore a lot of hats. And at the time I was writing research I did for the firm before and for the family office. And I wrote research and basically I got research coming from all different directions. We had, you know, at one time, a hundred different brokers that we, you, you know, we traded through and had research commitments with. And so I would get all of the research and bring it together and then put it together in a very cohesive, short way to push to the firm and say, here's how we have to balance our portfolio. This is what's important. Mm -hmm. So Formula One cars in the late 80s and 90s started putting computer sensors on just about every single component. And today they are everywhere. But what would happen is the cars would come around the track and the sensors would tell the tr the pits of you know what's happening. Uh, the brakes are too hot or the engine oil's too hot or speed up or whatever. And they could communicate that back with the driver and the driver would optimize the car uh, to perform. So I look at it like telemetry, which is what that is called, is me getting all the data that I have and condensing it and then giving it to people that they can integrate that into their process. Right. And I look at market sentiment and I, I know, well, one thing I, when I was um, at my firm, I was the market sentiment guy and I had to talk to all the different market sentiment people from Investors Intelligence, Ned Davis and uh, AAII and Daily Sentiment Index, all these people. So I would be able to get all the sentiment stuff and we do that now. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I like, I, well, actually when I was at the family office, I had this idea of putting it out to institutional clients and in like a website or research note. And as it turned out, I did do it. I started it in 2017, sort of actually it's right here. I think it's like, it was Valentine's day that I sent it out in 2017, mm -hmm. first note. And you know, I didn't realize what it would turn out to be, but I had 25 institutional clients and some well-known pensions and hedge funds and people, and they liked it. And then my old trader of financials trader said, Hey, Tom, you should put it out on Twitter and see if anybody wants it. I think you could get people to pay you for it. And so I did that and I had no idea. I got 3000 responses on my DM and I called really? a computer guy and I said, wow. we've got a problem here. That's good. <laughs> and so it's evolved. Um, I, I honestly hate the whole website programming stuff. And I just love doing research and I do trade ideas. And I, my focus is, you know, sentiment macro with um, a U.S. equity focus, because that's what I know. And I, I try to educate people. I try to give them a little bit of an entertainment aspect of it with some New York Post style headline uh, <laughs> titles. Yeah. But my main thing is I like what I do. I am passionate about it. 
And it's been really great to have met so many people who have become subscribers all over the world. You still haven't told them the website address. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's called hedge, it's, it's hedgefundtelemetry.com. There you go. That's awesome. Yeah. That's great. Uh, I just want to kind of follow up and finish up, I should say, with a couple of different themes and trade ideas that I know that you have been thinking about um, some of the things that you um, are liking and ex exiting. You, you, you recently left your short of bonds thinking that maybe the upside exhaustion using maybe DeMarc. Uh, but one of the things that you, you, I thought was interesting here um, is that, that cannabis stocks, you like cannabis stocks. Yeah, I do. They, they've been um, in the doghouse. Let's just say that. Yeah. The, the, um, so I like to, I'd like to build themes, um, around markets. And yes, I, I yesterday I said that I just based on the DeMarc indicators and the market sentiment for bonds hit 12%. I said that I think that, uh, rates are going to back, you know, come back down. And as we're sitting here right now, and there's some, I'm in the bond markets going nuts and the stock markets getting hit partly because it sounds like there's some rumors that Russia's going to invade Ukraine. That's all, we, that's all we need. Right that's all we need. Yeah. I mean, come on. Can't we just enjoy the weekend? My, 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 the Super my, Bowl. My, my thing is we just are still in the midst of a pandemic. Do we need to be invading? What's wrong with people? I know it's I, people are, well, let me tell you about cannabis. <laughs> yeah, that, which will tell, which will I'm help friends, a lot of the issues here. Yeah, I'm friends with Todd Harrison. I've known. Todd oh God, I've known. I met Todd time. in. I met Todd in. Gosh, what ninety two? He was at. Where was he at at that time? I forgot where he, he was. He worked though. for. Well, he worked for his Morgan Stanley. No, he does own firm. Uh, yeah. Well, he he worked for Morgan Stanley. Then he worked. Uh, he was head trader for Jim Cramer's firm. Then he left after 9-11 and started his own website. And that is also partly why he gave me some inspiration of, to do my own thing. And he's been very helpful, but he launched a cannabis hedge fund mm -hmm. and Todd Harrison is on Twitter, Todd Harrison. And that's been his main focus. And I've talked to him a lot about it and I consult with him as far as trading you know, the technicals of the cannabis industry and the technicals have been awful to say the least. Mm -hmm. And I am an op opportunistic person and I started buying the cannabis group last November. And I said, look, it's a 2022 trade idea and it's a theme. And there's a lot of states that are, it's interesting. A lot of states have passed the, the, uh, legalization of cannabis one way or another. And that's a positive. It's going to take time for the approvals to happen for the companies, but it's just a matter of time. The thing that's the problem, and this is the other catalyst that I think is really important, is that the cannabis companies cannot bank like a normal company. Mm -hmm. It's actually illegal. Right. And there is there's a uh, legislation. This is, this is something that's a first and maybe the first time in quite a while legislation that is bipartisan, that is going to go through Congress that, I mean, again, 
bipartisan to allow safe banking. I don't even know what that word means, but go ahead. I don't know what the word means, but go ahead. Well, they, they're going to allow, um, they're going to allow the, the, um, the commerce, uh, these companies to basically um, be able to go, you know, use normal banks. Um, That'd be great. It's a little shady right now. That'd be great. But the other thing is a lot of, there's, there's a lot of brokerage firms that won't allow you to trade these cannabis stocks. Mm-hmm. Some of them are in Canada, some of them are in the U S and it is a bit of the wild west. And I bought them down 55%. They went down a little bit more. And I think this, there's the catalyst I like is that you have bipartisan support. Schumer's all over this. Um, Biden's going to, this is a promise he's made. And even the Republicans are on board and they're sort of hijacking the, you know, the legalization of the safe banking. So bottom line is, I think that there, there's opportunity there on the long side. And it may be, you know, real soon that we have this. Now, there's an ETF that Todd is an advisor to, MSOS. Those are U.S. Um, cannabis uh, companies. Or, or related. And that's, that, <clears throat> that's a, yeah. yeah, that's an easy way to get exposure to that, yeah, that sector. Right. So I, I, li- I like it. I don't partake in the products, but oh uh, yeah, sure. Maybe, maybe after this, you know, this week, um, yeah. watching the market go down, I'm, I might have to, uh, to do that, you know, check it out. <laughs> Listen, I want to thank you for joining us today. Tom Thornton from hedge fund telemetry, which is a hedge fund telemetry.com is where you can find out his newsletters, his different, uh, opinions, his daily updates, things of that for the retail investor, as well as all the way up through institutions and as well as for um, hedge funds, et cetera, and, and everybody in between. So, Tom, thanks for joining us so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me, and uh, let's catch up again real soon. Absolutely. Anyway, that's going to wrap up our show for this week. And uh, I want to tell you it's been a very interesting discussion. A lot of things that we really didn't get to with Tom talking about is positioning in some equity positions in the U.S. A lot of that stuff is probably on his newsletter. But Bottom line is that it is and has been and probably will be for some time to come a little bit choppy. That's why we've been talking about some of the things we've been talking about, how to position portfolios, lack of concentration, all the things that go into making sure that you are following your disciplines and getting to what you want, which is financial security and satisfaction for a long and prosperous life. Thank you so much for joining me. Make sure to follow me on Twitter, Andrew Horowitz. Make sure to go over to thedisciplineinvestor.com and check in with me on Tuesday night and we'll find out what happened with that fishing tournament. Oh, let's see what's going on. Thanks for joining me. Bye-bye. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition, the information presented is not intended to be used as a sole basis of any investment decisions, nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence, including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, 
and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training. Advertisements are not related to the host or affiliates and are not considered recommendations by the host of the show or any affiliates of Horowitz & Company.